On today's show, the Houston Rockets lose to the Cleveland Cavaliers in overtime. What went wrong with the late game execution in this game? How did the Rockets find themselves at that point to begin with? What was the main reason that they actually lost this game against the Cavaliers? And Jalen and Jabari struggling, but for very different reasons in this game. It's all coming up right here at Locked on Rockets. This is Mission Control, Houston. Ignition sequence start. Throw it up to Jalen Green. Shingoon here in the short row. Oh, my, that's the no look. Jabari for three and the win. Yeah! Look at Tarisen. Here comes Tarisen. No! T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. The Houston Rockets select Amen Thompson and Cam Whitmore. One thing I have never done is not made the playoffs, and so we want to take that step here as well. Six. Five, four, three, two, one. What's up and welcome to another edition of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and credentialed media member. I'm also the host of Locked on NBA Mondays. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin and the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets. Free and available wherever you listen to your podcasts, including YouTube. Now, today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked on NBA for $20 off of your first purchase. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked on Rockets part of your day every single day, whether it's on your way to work, on your lunch break, in the gym. Thank you for being an everydayer and making the show part of your day every single day. Joining us now to recap the Houston Rockets 135-130 overtime loss in Cleveland to the Cavaliers is none other than your weekly co-host, the Podfather himself and Rockets Wire editor, Ben DuBose. You can track down on Twitter at Ben DuBose. Ben, this was a a hard-fought game, second night of a back-to-back. You still got a bunch of Rockets players who were fighting through flu-like symptoms. Coach Tiago Splitter was out for this game because he's dealing with the flu now, and They unfortunately fall a little bit short in overtime. Let's start right here. What to you was the biggest reason the Rockets lost this game in Cleveland? So for starters, I'm wearing the Margarita Monday shirt because we definitely need margaritas to get through the aftermath (laughs) of that. Just a brutal loss. And look, this is a frustrating one. I tend to take more of a silver lining simply because the Rockets fought back. This was a game when they were down 12 midway through the third and the Cavaliers had buried them underneath an avalanche of threes that it would have been very easy to say, it's not our night. It's night two of a back-to-back. We're weary. The Cavs are shooting disproportionately well. And similar to last night, how Damian Lillard went for 39 and 11. The Bucs got a friendly whistle and yet the Rockets never went away and were still within a possession Midway through the fourth quarter, the Rockets kept fighting back. And while it really stings to lose a game like that, all you needed was one more all and Shingun free throw or a friendlier bounce on that buzzer beater at the end. The fact that the Rockets pushed through it and made this game competitive, despite the Cavaliers having just a real major outlier from a shooting perspective, to me, it, it's encouraging as, as long as they don't get too down on themselves. I mean, the biggest thing, and I tweeted back to you once you uh, put out your Locked on Rockets tweet tonight, I think when you look at the Cavaliers making 19 threes at basically 40% on high volume, this is a team that for the year ranks in the bottom seven of the NBA in makes per game from three-point range and accuracy. They average below 12 makes per game and they shoot below 35%. So this was just a math formula that if the Rockets execute that well offensively, 
they should have won that game. It just came at a bad time where the Cavaliers made too many shots. I, I agree with you that there are some silver linings from this game that you, that the, the one, one very recurring theme with this team this season is their resiliency, right? They fight, they stay in these games. They do not yes. hang their head. They don't, they don't let up. go of the rope. Yeah. They, they could have very easily just, you know, done the whole, Oh, it's second out of back to back. We're tired. We just played a hard fought game in Milwaukee, all this. And they still fought and they still were very much in this game up until the final seconds when there was all sorts of, you know, mess going on with the officials and the Tari Eason play at the very end. And maybe we were going to have, you know, a, a, a crazy little comeback. It wasn't, it was a nice little fake comeback at the end of the game in the final seconds, but I end will of say overtime that is in, end of overtime. I apologize. You're right. I will say that the three point shooting while the Cavs, right? Not a great three point shooting team. I, I want to, how much of this felt self-inflicted by the Rockets, though? Ime Odoka cited this postgame. The Rockets did a terrible job closing out on shooters in this game. And I feel like for the season, not, not feel like, they are one of the best teams in the NBA defending the three-point line, right? They do a good job running shooters off the three-point line. How many wide-open threes? Did Max Struess get, did uh, Sam Merrill get, did Donovan Mitchell get for just, you know, breaking somebody down, you know, off the dribble? There were a lot of wide open shots that the Cavs got from long distance in this game. And I felt like that was one of the areas the Rockets defense kind of let them down. To an extent, but I also think this is classic coach speak to where they focus on controllable variables. I think early in the year, there was a lot of data that the Rockets were perhaps a bit lucky with regards to shot luck that teams were missing more corner threes against them than is normal. And we're talking just uncontested looks. So I think the Rockets were due for something of a regression in that area. And perhaps that's what we saw tonight. Look, you can always nitpick. You can always point to a few threes that, you know, you could have closed out harder on. But honestly, a lot of the mural and Max Struess threes were a few feet behind the line. I mean, they were of the 27, 28 foot variety, the type of Ryan Anderson back in the day spacing to where it, it's pretty tough to account for that much real estate on the floor, especially when you don't have a real rim protector. And we saw that in overtime, especially as the legs started to go, the Cavaliers really attacked Alperin Shingun on the inside. And it's not so much that he's not trying. It's just, you know, he's not the, you know, even when he's in peak form, he's not the most explosive guy when it comes to defending the rim. And now, you know, he's gassed after night two of a road back to back and five extra minutes in overtime. If you can't really defend the rim and they can shoot out to 27, 28 feet, there's only so much you can do. Now, I know you want to focus on what you can control and that's smart coaching by Ime Udoka. But I just think the bigger factor is just hat tip. You're, you know, the thing about the Rockets this season is that we have a much larger sample of uh good defense than we do good offense. So I still tend to go towards the glass half full side from the last two nights and that it's your defense that's let you down. Your offense has actually been what's allowed you to stay in this game. And I just think that honestly, it's frustrating in the moment, but when you take a step back and as long as they don't get too down on themselves, I think the good outweighs the bad here. Seven Rockets in double figures in this game. Uh, some really uh, rough performances, though, from Jalen Green and Jabari Smith Jr., which we want to highlight a little bit later on. We want to spend some significant amount of time talking about that because we, I, th I think they struggled, but for very different reasons very. in this game. So I want to unpack some of that a little bit later on. Thoughts on the, the late game execution here, the closing lineup that Ime went with. At one point late in the game, I said that Aaron Holiday should probably be back out there. I was thinking clean swap Aaron Holiday for Jalen Green. Emi Odoka opting to go with the Fred Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, Tari Eason, Jeff Green, Shingun closing five there at the end of regulation before bizarrely putting Jalen Green back in the game in overtime. 
I think that probably had to do with mileage because some of these guys, especially a 37 year old Jeff Green on night two of a back to back, you're trying to sort of give him, you know, buy a couple of minutes here and there. I think that's tactically what you were trying to do with inserting Jalen on an off night. And you never know. Jalen's the type of guy who does have fresh legs. So who knows? Maybe he hits a three and he goes on one of those benders that you see from time to time. It's unlikely, but it's at least possible. So I think that, you know, I can understand the calculated gamble to start overtime. I thought it was interesting late in regulation that, um, we saw the Rockets exclusively run through Alper and Shingun. This was another setting where it really felt like, you know, he's the him, so to speak, and you're relying on him to take you home, which generally is smart. He is the best player on the team. If I would nitpick one thing, it's that on a night where Fred Van Fleet was incredible, 27 points and 17 assists, and made several big buckets in the fourth quarter. If you were, the more I think about the final possession with seven seconds left, shot clock off. If you were going to play the clock, and I said this on Twitter when I was analyzing some people saying, oh, you know, should Shingun have attacked Allen more aggressively? And my response was, that's too risky because if you if you go down on the block, you can't control the clock. And if you shoot too early and miss, Cleveland calls timeout, they advance the ball, and Donovan Mitchell can hit a walk-off on you. So if you want to control the clock, Shingun's got to face up what he did, and the shot almost went down. With that said, because that's not exactly his forte, and it's not like you're using Allen's fouls against him if he's guarding that far away from the basket, he can use his frame to try and contest the shot. I do wonder if perhaps if you're going to play the clock game and just try and get a face-up shot, if you perhaps should have gotten Fred Van Fleet involved because he was your hottest shooter at that point in time and has been extremely clutch the last two nights. So while I do like that they're leaning on Shingun, this is not Steven Silas era. You can tell that you know Shingun is option one in, a, in an ideal sense. The more I think about the last 10 seconds, if you're actually trying to hit a walk-off at zero and your point guard is shooting and distributing the way Fred was tonight, I do wonder if you know, in hindsight, they might go back to Fred and say, hey, that, that's our bad. We should have run that possession through you. But the other silver lining from that is, again, it's, it's that continued confidence that the coaching staff does have sure. in Alper and Shingun to make that play. And again, the shot was, you know, it just rimmed out. Uh, a yeah. little flamingo shot. Would have been awesome to be able to talk about an Alper and Shingun, the flamingo game winner. Jackson, was, I really it, I, I really thought it was going to go <laughs> off the backboard and end. I thought it was going in. I thought he like, was going to get the shooter's touch on it, too, yeah, I thought it was, too. It, you know, and it was it was, it was was interesting how the you know Rockets and, and Cavs were going back and forth. Shingun with the five fouls, Allen with the five fouls. They were both tar- being targeted on opposite ends, and you know, I, I really do think that some of the the breakdowns we saw late in, in regulation, as well as there in overtime, came from Shingun having to play with those five fouls, not being able to be as aggressive yeah. defensively, bodying up to guys that we saw a. a, a a freaking layup line in overtime, right. uh, you know, the Cavaliers just getting to the basket yeah. pretty much at will. So I thought the Cavs did a better job of kind of attacking the guy with five fouls uh, or going after him. than the Rockets yeah. did attacking Allen, which is weird because they did a really good job racking up the fouls on Allen. And then right. they just couldn't get that sixth one. But Coming up, we want to get into a little bit of the game flow of this one, just kind of how it felt over the course of this one. Some other, you know, observations, things that we picked up from this game, as well as Jalen Green and Jabari Smith Jr., their struggles in this game, why they struggled and why they struggled for different reasons. We're going to get to all that and so much more here in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Our partners over at eBay Motors have teamed up with Locked On Fantasy Basketball host Josh Lloyd to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each and every week all season long. Whether you're prepping for a daily draft or scouting the waiver wire, every week we're going to provide you the players that are guaranteed to fit on your roster. So let's see who Josh has picked out for us on this week's eBay's Guaranteed Fit Fantasy Picks of the Week. And the first name we got to talk about on this list is none other than 
Then Tari Eason forward for your Houston Rockets. Josh says, still coming off the bench, but it doesn't really matter as Emi Odoka has found minutes for him. He's a strong fantasy value per minute option who becomes useful to everyone as these minutes tick up. And look, that's 100% true. We've seen Emi Odoka steadily increase Tari Eason's minutes as the season has gone along. And the way that it looks is Tari is going to very much be a 25-30 minute per game contributor. He's getting starters level minutes, even though he's coming off the bench. So that's a fantastic pick there. Next on the list, Grayson Allen. With Bradley Beal out again, Allen should see strong minutes and a nice increased usage role for the next few weeks. That makes a ton of sense there. Last one on our list, Malachi Branham. Seems to be a starter for the Spurs for the short term at least, and he has flashed some increased passing skills, increasing his fantasy viability. So a few names for you to check out for your fantasy league today. Now, Josh from Locked on Fantasy Basketball is going to help you win your fantasy championship this season, and eBay Motors knows a championship team is about each player being a perfect fit, the exact same as with your vehicle. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. They've got brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your car needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit on your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. eBay Guaranteed Fit, only available to U.S customers eligible items only exclusions apply and continuing on here at locked on rockets your daily podcast home for everything houston rockets basketball some exciting news is locked has launched the first ever national sports 24 7 streaming channel on youtube locked on sports today is here for you 24 7 covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of locked on plus our national shows covering every single league just go to locked on sports today on youtube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24 7 streaming channel now Ben when I put you know the post-game graphic out there I usually ask hey you know thoughts on tonight's game reason for the loss things like that and one point that was brought up I can't give credit because I don't have the the reply right in front of me but if you were this reply credit to you somebody said they they could you could blame this game on you know second night of a back-to-back fatigue dead legs and I do think some of that played a factor but I kind of want to push back on that because arguably the Rockets two best players in this game were they're two old, two of their <laughs> oldest elder statesmen, Fred Van Vliet and Jeff Green, and they played just fine on the second night of a back-to-back. Dead legs and all, whatever you want to call it. So, you know, and this is this is kind of a point that's going to extend to when we do kind of unpack the issues for Jalen and Jabari, but I don't think you can pin it on dead legs. Like, if, if Fred and, J- and Jeff are out there playing their hearts out, playing as hard as they were, diving on the floor for loose balls, that kind of thing, driving hard to the rim, which is Jeff Green's, like, patented move where he walks the ball up and catches the opposing center by yeah. surprise and just drives it in and, you know, kisses it off the glass. If they're playing at the level at which they were playing at in this game, then what's the excuse for the guys who are younger than them? Well, well, and I will, and I will say that this is the third straight game, all three of this road trip in which they've gotten off to pretty bad starts. Mm -hmm. And they've been playing from behind for the majority of the game. They were able to dig their way out against Memphis because that's the worst team of the three. They almost did against Cleveland, which is the median and they could not against Milwaukee, which is obviously the best of the three. So yeah, that sort of pushes back on the whole dead legs thing too, is that really it's a continuation of what we see in the whole road trip, which is putting yourself behind the eight ball early. Now I know the Cleveland game, they did uh, 
take a nine-point lead late in the second quarter, but that was somewhat of an exception to the rule, riding the Jeff Green wave in the first half when he was just out of this world. For the most part, and then the they, they also seen, they also gave up that lead because they failed to close close the, half, right. the first half well. So right, yeah, and then they struggled in the third quarter to start largely with uh, Jalen Green and Jabari Smith Jr. really struggling with some of their defensive rotations, and those are guys that should be uh, the freshest. You mentioned the two veterans, and then also Tari Eason, who's coming off a stress reaction in his leg. That's the very definition of a stress injury. They've been trying to manage his minutes. And yet on night two of a road back-to-back in the second half, he's making plays in transition all over the court. He's rejecting Donovan Mitchell on step-back threes. Just incredible play. So if Fred and Jeff and Tari Eason coming off the stress reaction all on night two of a back-to-back playing both ends can play at that level, why can't some of your younger guys? Yeah, that's absolutely a, a fair criticism. The only area I would say where I think dead legs may have played a slightly bigger role was in the five-minute overtime period. And even in that, you could point to, as you did with Shingun, the five fouls, and say that it's partly that as well. But I did think that the Rockets had to expend so much energy fighting back time after time. It felt like so many times in the fourth quarter, the Cavs would go up six, seven points, and it's like, that's the haymaker, it's over. And the Rockets would have to punch back with you know a quick burst. And they had to expend so much energy to fight back. But ultimately, what this comes down to is having to fight back so many times and we saw this three games and in reality yeah that's a deeper problem than just you know tired legs or the schedule they're consistently getting off to bad starts and a big reason for that of course is Jalen Green and Jabari Smith Jr. not playing well you know one uh, another positive at least from this game uh, as we're kind of sifting through the the wreckage of this loss is that they responded in a big way in the rebounding department right after getting crushed on the glass against Milwaukee they come back they yep. respond 47-37 rebounding advantage and uh, we saw yet another like Ime Odoka has these interesting defensive schemes where in this game, Alperin Shingu was matched up with Isaac Okoro a lot in this game. Yeah. And mainly because, and the reason for that, if you're watching this game, you're like, why is Alpi guarding a wing player? The reason the Rockets do that is they want to take Shingun out of the pick and rolls with Jarrett Allen, Donovan Mitchell, whoever else, whatever guard has the ball for the Cavaliers, they want to actively be able to switch those pick and rolls because they are confident in the, their their wing defender's ability, whether it's Tari, yes. whether it's Jabari, Dylan, they're fine with that guy, One of, any of those guys guarding Jarrett Allen and kind of holding their own on the low block because Allen doesn't have a post bag, right? So I did think I was encouraged by the way that the Rockets kind of handled that and then their kind of a commit, uh, or I guess their commitment to kind of gang rebounding at times when you had, you know, two smaller guys kind of swarming Jarrett Allen, boxing him out, trying to keep yeah. him off the glass. There were some moments where... Isaac Okoro got the better of Alper and Shingun, like on a drive here or there. But by and large, 11 points, only four of seven shooting. Like that wasn't like an issue in the game at all. No, it's not it like wasn't Isaac Okoro deal. cooked Shingun in that matchup. He held his own. No, and it allowed Shingun to freelance a bit as well and help as he might need to to cut off some of those drives. Now, some of the rotations that did lead to open threes. But again, as we were saying earlier, you, you have to give up something. There's there's no perfect defense, especially when you're a bit limited with rim protection the way the Rockets are. So all in all, I didn't have a problem with the scheme. One note defensively that I was really encouraged by on my podcast at Loggerline last week, I talked about how seeing Tari finish in place of Jalen was so encouraging from the standpoint of Tari because it shows you that the coaching staff believes in his ability to play not just as a forward, but as a wing. And if he can play from two through four, there's so much more flexibility that you have with your ability to close using Tari Eason. If it was like last season where he was primarily a forward, a front court player, it was always a little tricky because, yeah, Tari played really well. But are you going to want to close with him ahead of Alperin Shingun, who's your five of the future? Are you going to 
close with him ahead of Jabari Smith Jr., who's your four of the future? If not, then where exactly does he fit in? Well, now that Tari is shooting well enough and agile enough on the perimeter defensively, we saw what he did against Donovan Mitchell. I thought he just did an incredible job one-on-one whenever he could avoid the switch. Then it just gives the Rockets so many options. We saw it down the stretch of the game. It was Tari in place of Jabari, who did not have a good night. I know we'll get into that. But then, um, but then in overtime, you slotted uh, Jeff Gr- or when was it? No, no, no. Overtime, Jalen came back in, and so you yeah. slid uh, Tari to the front court. Mm-hmm. Before that, you had uh, Tari in place of Jalen, and you had Jeff Green in the front court alongside Alperin. Well, it, it, it is worth noting that lineup that you're referencing in the closing, the end of regulation lineup: Fred, Dylan, yeah. Tari, Jeff, Alpie. Uh, Dill. It's worth noting Dylan does have the lineup versatility where he's sure, got the skill sure. set. He he, kind of he's got the sand in his your pants, guard, right? Like yeah, D- he's got both the sand in his pants and the and the wing defense. So yeah, Dylan is super versatile, but I would I would put Tari in that box as well. I would say that they are both guys that can defend near the rim and also on the perimeter. So I would just point out that this is a game where the Rockets use Tari in a lot of different ways to make a lineup with Jeff Green work and then a lineup with Jalen Green work. And so that's something that defensively, I mean, there's no reason to think that Tari couldn't, but it's nice to actually see it play out that way in um, in a high leverage setting because say what you will about the reasons the Rockets lost this game. I don't think Tari Eason was anywhere near the top of the list. Look, I, you know, the NBA has has largely become a positionless league over right. these last, you know, five, 10 years. And I, I think you can boil it down to three kind of primary roles on the floor. You've got your ball handlers, you've got your wings, and you've got your bigs. And I, I think yeah. there's a lot of merit to these lineups that the Rockets sometimes run where they've got one ball handler out there. So Fred, Jalen, whoever you want to pick, Aaron Holiday maybe, then three wing players who are all very switchable, who provide a lot of size, rebounding, uh, defense, everything, uh, whether, and take your pick of all the wings the Rockets have across the roster, and then you leave one big out there. And sometimes that big is Jeff Green, who is effectively kind of a wing, uh, and then other times it's LP or or some, you know, seemingly Jock Landale as of late, who's soaking up some minutes while guys are, you know, in and out of the rotation due painfully. to this, this flu bug, painfully soaking up the minutes. You know what? We don't want to talk about the Jock Landale minutes. But look, you know what? I will say this. Watching watching Tristan Thompson in like the 18 minutes that he played. Look, first off, when I was looked at the box score, I would have thought Tristan Thompson would have had like eight rebounds because it felt like he had a presence when he was on the floor. It felt like his like he was just guys were bouncing off of him left and right. He was, you know, in the paint causing havoc. And it's like, that's kind of what I wanted Jock Landale to be for this Rockets team, right? Just come in and be a bruiser and make your presence felt. It doesn't have to be pretty. Set hard screens, get some extra possessions with some rebounds, close yeah. out defensive possessions strong. And so like, hey, go get, go get Tristan Thompson, Rafael Stone, go get him because that's someone what that Jock can Landale rebound. Been I mean, Jock Landale team. is just, he has zero burst. He has zero explosion. There was a play at the end of the first quarter that drove me nuts when the Rockets were up six and it felt like, okay, they're finally going to get some separation and then it quickly went the other direction. There was a point blank rebound that was going right to Jock, but his vertical was about maybe two inches. And I forget who it was, but somebody uh, tipped it out instead. The Cavaliers got a three. Next thing you know, they take the lead at the beginning of the second quarter and they uh, lead most of the game from that point forward. It's just, it's so frustrating. I do think some of it's medically related with the ankle injury in the offseason, but boy, it's just a struggle. A defensive guy who's not that big, who can't really uh, leave his feet for rebounds and doesn't get much separation on his layup attempts near the rim. Obviously, it's not a, you know, a lob threat. So what are you supposed to do? 
lob threat. I had to go find the button. Sorry, that was very important to I, me. I figured that's what the, the pause was for. I yeah. figured I knew I set you up. I, look at that. That's 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 chemistry right there, Ben. That's a little Where is Bruno Fernando us. when you need him? Oh, man, I do not have a Bruno line anywhere on the board. But I, I actually would take Bruno over Jock Landale, but that's neither here nor there. Honestly, probably, yeah. That's kind of, that's that's the sad state of sad affairs that we've true. got with the backup center situation uh, with this current team. But coming up, we want to get into final thoughts from this game. We're going to talk about Jalen Green, Jabari Smith Jr., who both struggled in big ways in this game, but for very different reasons. We're going to get to that in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Look, you shouldn't have to worry the next time you're trying to go out and have a good time, whether it's a concert, a sporting event, maybe it's a play. Getting tickets doesn't have to be a stressful experience. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events happening near you. They've got killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive at the venue, plus their best price guarantee. Look, Game Time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase you've got the all-in prices we've all been there you start filling out all your ticket information you get to the checkout and then suddenly the cost is like double what you thought it was going to be because they tack on convenience fees and handling fees and all this stuff. it's it, there is no handling fee it's a digital ticket right game time doesn't do any of that they've got their all-in price they show you exactly what the price is up front you don't get surprised at the end of the checkout process they are obsessed with finding you ways to help save you money on tickets they've got so many different last minute tickets deals zone deals all sorts of things that you want Want to be able to take advantage advantage of so take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time download the game time app create an account use code locked on nba for 20 dollars off of your first purchase terms apply again create an account redeem code locked on nba that's l-o-c-k-e-d-o-n-m-b-a for 20 dollars off of your first purchase download game time today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed and final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Now, two of the pretty big reasons the Rockets struggled at points in this game, Jalen Green and Jabari Smith Jr. And I, I want to say, I, I feel like they struggled for very different reasons here, Ben. Jabari Smith Jr. finishing the night uh, with just, what, 23 minutes played? Uh, that might be like a season low for him, potentially. He Didn't was, play in the fourth quarter or overtime? Didn't play for more than half of the third quarter. He was subbed out with seven and a half to go in the third quarter. Ime Odoka leaning heavily on Tari Eason, the energy that he provided, the, the, the way that he just makes things happen on the court. And let's face it, Jabari was struggling. Jabari did not have it in this game. He was just two of seven shooting, only one of four from downtown he had seven rebounds but he had some you know some mistakes defensively some missed assignments especially there at the top of the third quarter that you know was driving Emi Odoka insane uh that allowed the Cavaliers to go on some of you know that that big run to start the second half my thing with Jabari is we've seen him we've seen him execute we've seen him take strides as a defender um I already said there's no excuse for him being a young guy. Like, it can't blame the dead legs or whatever. I do think there has been a tendency at times for players on this roster when they feel uninvolved offensively or when the offense isn't flowing mm -hmm. that suddenly that sometimes they check out a little bit mentally on the defensive end. And for Jabari, he's a guy that we've seen just how good it can look when he is involved offensively. And I feel like he's still trying to find his spot on this team offensively because they – the Fred Van Vliet, Jalen, or sorry, Fred Van Vliet, Alper and Shingo two-man game. That's been their bread and butter. Jalen gets ample amounts of reps. And then there's, you know, oftentimes guys, you know, are just ahead of him in the pecking order. Only seven shot attempts on the night. And I just felt like 
you know, coming off a, you know, a set of games where it felt like he was actually pretty decent, you know, a stretch of games where he's been, been able to be effective from the mid range. We've seen him kind of helping anchor some of those second units situationally. I felt like his offensive involvement kind of bled into his commitment on the defensive, which is not, it's not acceptable, but I think that's kind of what happened. Perhaps. I think that's reasonable. By the way, on Fred Van Fleet, one thing I want to quickly get in. So if you follow NBA Twitter at all, you know James Harden had an absolutely monster night, and it would be so easy. And we see this from time to time from a small segment of the Rocket social media community to what if, oh, should they have gone after James Harden at all? On a night that James was this damn good, nobody's saying it because Fred was phenomenal. Just controlled that game with shot making, with distribution, 27 and 17, just an impressive incredible game so for on the same night that james absolutely went off for fred to answer i know they're not playing head to head but it just shows you how good that fred van fleet signing is we're not giving him his due because of course the rockets lost the game so disproportionately we're going to be focusing a little bit more on what went wrong than what went right that's just how these recaps go but the reality fred played a phenomenal game and he played a role in all prevention goon having a nice night with 24 and 8 and on, on that note about fred he is your locked on rockets player of the game sorry sometimes we, oh. we sometimes we, we gl- kind of you know glide past the LOR player of the game yeah. and these losses because we're focused yeah. on why the team lost and it's it's harder to celebrate the player right. of the game. But Fred was fantastic. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he tried to will them back in the fourth quarter. And with one more Alperin Shingun free throw or a better bounce on that uh, one-legged game winner at the buzzer, attempted game winner, that is, that we're celebrating, well, certainly Shingun, but in a macro sense, we're talking about Fred as the guy who just did not want to let them lose even on night two of a difficult road back-to-back against playoff teams with the shiner too <laughs> he still yeah, sported it, a battle it, scar it, from milwaukee imagine that and i enjoyed how he was poking the officials after the game by of course pointing out we all know what happened with dylan and emay and the raps and saying hey look at me man uh you know why didn't i get a review that's whatever that's past history let's let's focus on cleveland look as far as jabari i think in a micro sense you're spot on at least potentially it makes a lot of sense in the macro the last week or so, I've been making the case that the biggest reason for optimism with the Rockets relative to their start was Tari Eason. Not just the fact that he was coming on, but when you look back at the run in November and you consider the first two weeks of the season, he didn't play at all. And then for the month of November, he was averaging under 20 minutes per game because they were slowly building him back up after the stress reaction. So if Tari is this good, and I believe he is, then he's only been like a true... 25 to 30 minutes per game player for the last couple of weeks. So you're going to be able to scale him up and get him into, you know, as good as you've been without Tarrier with a very limited version, just imagine what you can do with him. The case for pessimism, I never bought into the gaudy shooting numbers that Jabari had being legitimate on a sustained basis until he gets stronger. Because when you actually look at the shot profile to sustain what he was at until a week or so ago, when he was shooting you know, 50-something percent overall, mid to upper 30s from three, uh, true shooting percentage was above 60 for a while. When you actually look at the shot quality, I know he's a good shooter, but if you're not really getting easy looks on a regular basis and he just doesn't have the strength and he's also not a, a lob threat, I, I know I'm going to say that again, but um, threat. Th- th- there we go. It's tough when you're that young, and of course, he's still trying to, you know, he's coming off a rookie year in which he disappointed as a shooter and clearly struggled with the longer three-point line relative to what he had at college when he was a marksman at Auburn. You typically don't flip the switch and just over the span of a few months go from clearly below average to elite. It's a it's a stepping stone. And I think Jabari is clearly better than he was a year ago, 
But to sustain the hot start he had from a shooting perspective, that's just not realistic, in my opinion, at 20 years old and with where he was a year ago. So until he gets easier looks and doesn't have the body for that yet, in my opinion, he was always due for a little bit of a regression. And this is just, in my opinion, that hot start evening out a little bit. And I, you know, I just, I feel like he's been deployed kind of wrong throughout most of his NBA career where he's not just somebody that yep. you want to park at the three-point line as they knock down the open threes. He's very much a rhythm guy, right? He needs to feel the ball in his hands. You need to get him a couple, you know, elbow touches, let him face up, let him get to his post turnaround or have him curling off the screen, you know, and, and just catch and shoot right there at the elbow. Let him get some of those mid-range looks. We've seen him basically become almost automatic when he does get those looks early in the game. And then those are the looks that kind of get him going over the course of a night where he has some of those stronger offensive performances so I, I would like to see a, maybe a bit more of an effort made from the Rockets coaching staff to get him going early because I do think he's a guy that you can go to in a late game situation like they needed tonight when they needed a game winning bucket obviously Jabari played bad and he wasn't going to be in that lineup but like if you get him going early I think he, you get a very different player out of Jabari Smith Jr. a more engaged player more locked in better on both ends of the basketball so that brings us to Jalen Green though who yeah continues the trend of being a two guard, a shooting guard who can't shoot the basketball. Unfortunately, 12 points, two of 12 shooting one of four from downtown. He did get to the free throw line and had seven attempts at the line. And I really liked, he, he had a stretch at the end of the first quarter that I was very encouraged by where the Rockets actually managed to close out that quarter relatively well. Jalen Green got to the line four times, hit all four of them. He hit Aaron Holiday for a, for an assist for a three-pointer. Uh, he had a good defensive rebound where he like tipped the ball ahead to a teammate, got credited with the defensive board there, and it was, you know, I, I don't know who was trying to contest him for the rebound, but it was a nice hustle play from him. I liked the energy. I liked what we were seeing out of Jalen, but I, I just, I don't know what it is, to, you know, about his game at this point, but the wild inconsistencies are just, there are, I, you can point to pretty much every other player who played in this game, not named Tate or Landale or Jabari, and everybody else played better than Jalen in tonight's game. Yeah. And they would have been better served to have pretty much anybody else out on the floor in overtime other than Jalen. That's why it was such a peculiar decision by Emi Odoka to go back to Jalen Green when he had Aaron Holiday, who had been on the bench, who was playing phenomenal. The, I know you mentioned, right, the, the rest component being a factor for why Jeff Green probably didn't close out this game in overtime, but... I don't know. At this point, like the Rockets, you know, they, they've routinely needed alternatives to Jalen Green. He's been benched a lot. He's missing chunks of games. And there are players that are playing better than him on a pretty consistent basis elsewhere on this roster. Yeah, there are. To me, there's a big difference between Jalen and Jabari's struggles. With Jabari, to me, he's right on course when it comes to the blueprint. Are there tactically some things from game to game that they could do to perhaps get him going more? Sure. But I think in the big picture, He's generally taking the shots that he should take. He's finding his spots on the floor. I think there's a development process with his body, especially when it comes to the longer shots from three-point range, especially above the break. That's going to take a little more development than just a few months to get from where he was as a rookie to where we want him to be. I know some people compare him to Keegan Murray, who had 12 threes the other night. Keep in mind, Keegan Murray has three years of um, advanced skills on Jabari. So even though they're the same draft class, when the age is three years different, that's huge when it comes to developing your body. And so with Jabari, I'm not that concerned about the blueprint. We've for a while, sort of seen what his role is. And I think he's building towards that. Time will tell if he achieves, you know, all of those skills, uh, the talents that we see. But, um, you know, I can see what the path is. 
And it, it feels like he's generally on the right track, even if he was due for something of a regression, as I was laying out earlier, when you look at his shot profile and the previous shooting numbers, probably being a little bit unsustainable in year two. With Jalen, what concerns me so much, it's like he needs to go back to basics. I'm, I'm just stunned at year three, some of the simple fundamentals, the inability to finish near the rim, the the wide open threes that are nowhere close. It's You can see from time to time, I think his processing has improved. He's put a ton of time, I've heard, in the film room, and so he works on you know trying to read coverages. It's almost like, did you do too much too soon? Because he's not doing the the simple things. He's not, you know, and maybe I don't know if it's he needs to put on more weight. I don't know if it's just he needs to, you know, practice finishing through contact. But these shots that he misses near the rim, he does the hard part. He splits the defense. He gets right to the cup. He does, you know, I, I would say 90% and the hard 90% of what the job is. And he just can't finish. He can't do the he's, easy he's thing. Running out, he's running out of talent right at the rim. The old Mike D'Antoni. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like watching. It's like watching Corey Brewer, and it's just insane because this was, you know, his first year. He was actually a lot better at this. I felt like, especially when you go back and watch the second half of year one. I know the the start was a little rough, but like when he was on that thirty point streak near the end of the season, it felt like the light bulb was really coming on. And since then. Again, I, I think his processing has improved. I think from time to time, does he make poor decisions? Sure. I, I think a lot of that just comes from you know the momentum of a game. When things don't go his way, does he get discouraged a little bit? Absolutely. That's true of most young players. But I just think like the, the bigger concern isn't just you know the, the fact that he gets discouraged on a given night and is a momentum player, because that's true of a lot of young guys. It's just the fundamentals are glaring. He does so many of the hard things and can't do the final 10%, which for a guy of his athletic gifts and his scouted potential, this was not the Rockets. It's not like the Rockets drafted him at two out of nowhere and stunned the NBA world. No, everyone saw him as a top two, top three pick. People loved his game and thought it would translate based on that G League film. So I, I, it's a very weird case. I don't know what to make of it. Like I said, the the easiest explanation I can come up with is that maybe they focus too much on the hard stuff, too much on, you know, trying to read coverages and, you know, study how you want to attack and not enough on just the physical development of what do you do when you actually have that advantage? Can you finish through a little bit of contact at an awkward angle? Can you make an open shot if somebody sags off to try and take away that driving lane? It's just a very weird case. And, Look, I, 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 my my whole thing with Jalen, man, is I think this is a, a a perfect indictment of the mess that the Rockets put Jalen and Alpi through their first two years in the league, right? Because Perhaps. now you're at a point where the Rockets timeline they want to be winning games now. The 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 goal for this team and for Ime Odoka and for the organization now is to win games, to be in phase two of the rebuild and all this. And I don't know if Jalen's ready for that phase because he spent the first two years of his career, just rolling the ball out and kind of doing whatever on the floor. There were no expectations. There was no structure. There was, I really don't know what he learned in those first two years. In the yeah. NBA. And now it kind of feels like he's got the structure. He's got the expectations. He's got a coach who can actually teach him how to play the game. And we are seeing some games where it's clicking, where it all comes together and he looks yep. unguardable and incredible. But then we have other games where he's going through those growing pains that you would expect out of a year one or year two player. And I know that, you know, year three, isn't like suddenly this, this magic, 
magical year where he should be flawless across his game. But now that the Rockets' emphasis is on, is on playing winning basketball and winning games by any means necessary, development at times is being put on the back burner. And that's yeah. where you messed up by not being able to capitalize on the two years where winning was not a priority whatsoever. And yeah. you should have put more yeah. emphasis on the structure and the development of the young guys rather than just, ah, okay, we'll just let Silas yeah. roll the ball out and do whatever. Yeah, and your three is also when you would like to have some understanding of what the player's long-term potential is because, of yeah. course, you're going into the summer that you can give them a contract extension. And it's still, for Jalen, projections are all over the map. There's still a case where he can be really, really good. You see the highs. That that elite talent is still in there. But the extent of the lows, the maddening inconsistency, you typically don't see it this extreme in year three. And it, it is a bit of an indictment on the last two years. Now, you can point out that Alper and Shingun is not nearly that extreme, but I think the difference here is that Alper and Shingun had experience as a professional in Europe prior to coming to the NBA. So I don't think the learning curve was quite as steep as it is for Jalen. And look, my thought I think the Rockets, we heard during the offseason, to go back to all the, the Fred versus Harden debates, that one of the reasons to go with Fred was that you wanted the optionality of running more offense through Jalen, being able to scale him up. Long term, I think that's still a worthy goal. However, in the short term, I do wonder if, especially when Fred has it going on a night like tonight, if maybe you peel back and you say, you know what, let's just, let's trust Fred right now. And Jalen, let's, you know, Try to simplify the game for you. Don't worry as much about leading the offense, being the lead guard, and how you attack. Just focus on the fundamentals. Work on finishing through traffic, making the open threes. Less about primary creation responsibility, more about doing the simple things. And then build back up to where you can hopefully have him absorb more lead guard responsibilities. I'm not saying that's the fault of the current Rockets coaching staff. Again, they're in a pretty difficult spot with a guy who developed some bad habits over his first couple of years. I'm just thinking in terms of how you potentially fix this. Because I guess the, the case for optimism is that, again, I think he's doing a lot of things right. And on paper, the things he's doing wrong, a lot of them are really fixable. That's what's so frustrating. I, I mean, you know, I, I've seen some tweets, right? Like he, he does still look a little bit undersized and underweight relative to, you know, he's not the six foot six athlete that a lot of us thought going into the 2021 draft. There are, are a lot of matchups where he's a little smaller against, but he has the speed, even if he's a little lighter and not quite as tall as you would like at the shooting guard position, he has the speed to still get to the right spots. We saw that several times tonight where he blows by, gets a pretty easy finish for most guys in the NBA, and then he just blows it. And so I don't know, to me, I can't tell you it's what's definitely going to work, but unlike Jabari, where I think, you know, you can get him the ball a little bit more, but I think generally the plan is right in terms of where they're getting him the ball. They know the type of shots he needs. They know his spots on the floor. With Jalen, I almost wonder if you just need to sort of take a step back and say, let's just hit, let's just hit the reset button. Let's just go back to trying to be a competent off-ball guard, do some of the simpler things, let's rebuild his confidence, get him into something of a rhythm, and then try and scale this thing back up in the second half of the year if and when he truly you know, gets back into that guy we saw at times the last two years. Taking it back to the basics might be a good thing for, for Jalen Green at this point with the inconsistencies, with the struggles that we've seen. And 
whenever Amin Thompson heals, first he dealt with, you know, the ankle, then he's dealing with getting the that flu. That would help too. Yeah, like having Amin Thompson back in the rotation will help a ton because then you're back to having two full-time primary ball handlers in front. Yeah, you have another Amin, playmaker. And, and that takes the, the pressure even further off of Jalen to where he can truly just focus on that one role and, and you know, tailor make his mindset to, I've, I've got to be a, a, a score first guard, whatever, simple, finish these plays, whatever it needs to be. But... We want to know your thoughts on Jalen Green and Jabari Smith Jr.'s struggles. Are we on the money here? Are we completely off base? Give us your thoughts on those two guys and their performance and kind of the just the thoughts on their seasons as a whole in the YouTube comments. But Ben, you know the drill. Let everybody know where to track you down at, man. Yep. Uh, ben Dubose on Twitter slash X, the logger line on the same, and the Rocketswire. Also, rocketswire.usatoday.com is the website for all your daily Houston Rockets news coverage. That's going to do it for another edition of Locked on Rockets. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Just search Locked on Rockets, like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.